So talk about uniqueness. Remember when we were talking about Myers-Briggs, we were talking about claiming the uniqueness, the creation gift. Now he's talking about the unique configuration of our of our dead body, the part of us that the, the part that's still under our own lordship and and bringing a personal spiritual discipline that is shaped precisely to the unique configuration of our deadness. Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, founder of the Transforming Center, and in this season, I am glad to be back with my conversation partner, Steve Weens, Senior Pastor of Genesis in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Steve is also a Transforming Community alum, which means we've spent time laughing, growing, and transforming in the presence of Christ in community with other leaders. This season, we're walking through Invitation to a Journey by Robert Mulholland. It's part of the Transforming Resources collection published by InterVarsity Press. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we invite you to become a monthly patron of the podcast. Just visit transformingcenter.org patron to sign up and learn more. We thank you so much for your monthly support at any level. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Welcome, friends, to episode eight this one's called The Nature and Dynamics of Spiritual Disciplines. And we're going to get in the deep weeds here, I promise you. Uh, and it's going to start by quoting a verse in Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 10, where Paul is writing to Christians in whom Christ dwells, but he starts by using an odd paradox. He says, if Christ dwells in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And so uh, I'm going to take the liberty to, to get us started here, Ruth. Um, I've done some thinking mm-hmm. and actually speaking <laughs> lately and some writing about the nature of paradox and, and, and what it does to our thinking and to our processing. And so when a good teacher uses paradox, it is so that a familiar understanding that has become so familiar to us that it's become, as Dallas Willard might say, unfamiliar, that we can it, we can follow that line of thinking all the way to a dead end and get stuck. And the paradox shows us a new way of thinking. And so um, if Christ dwells in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. What I don't think Paul is doing here is is introducing a dualism. I don't think he's saying the body's bad, the body's terrible, crucify your flesh, elevate the spirit. He's he's trying to name uh, how bad the situation is as it relates to you rescuing yourself from any nature of sin that you have, any possibility you think you have of rescuing yourself from the nature of the sin that you find yourself trapped in. Uh, That is, we need to consistently put that way of thinking out of our mind. We cannot rescue ourselves. But there's this life um, that is alive in our spirit because of righteousness. Now, what is righteousness? We can talk about that for a second. And so we have to sit in in that paradox of, utter inability to rescue ourselves 
right alongside, there is a spirit alive in us that enables us to get out of that dead end and go a new way. So before we even realize what that is, we need to be led all the way to the end of the familiar way of thinking that we can get ourselves out of it. Maybe you can help us, Ruth, in terms of like diving into, you know, there are three ways Paul uses the word body, Mm -hmm. soma, and how does, and Mahon writes about that, the third way, how how does Mm -hmm. this help us understand the dead body? Yeah. Well, this is a place in the book where you really do know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's a New Testament theologian because he is parsing out words <laughs> yeah. that I, you know, that I feel have already been parsed. But anyway, yeah. so this word, um, Greeks, the Greek word soma, which uh, we translate body. And of course, this is the very interesting thing about um, the Greek language translated into English is that we, don't, we just do not have the capacity in English to have the same level of nuance that the New Testament Greek has. So that's why we can have one word with three, you know, with, with only th- with three meanings. We only have one word, but the Greek, the Greeks had three ways to understand it. So um, the, the word soma does, it is translated body. And um, in the first place, it is our physical body and our physical body consisting of many members. So that's the first way he uses the word. The second way he uses the word is to refer to the body, the corporate entity of the body of Christ, you know, the, the faith community, um, and that Christ is the head of that body, the soma. Um, so when Paul uses the body in those ways, it's, it's pretty clear. But then there's this third way that Paul uses the word, and it doesn't really fit with the other two, and it has to do more with the old self. Um, the old self that was crucified with Christ so that the body of sin might be made inoperative. I think that's Mulholland's own translation, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And so when he talks about the dead body, he's talking about the body of sin and that the, being crucified with Christ is to have that body of sin made inoperative. Um, so, you know, we can't possibly do all the unearthing that he does in, in, in kind of parsing out the Greek language here. But in the end, the dead body in Mulholland's writings have to do with those harmful, deeply ingrained attitudes, troubling perspectives, destructing ways of relating to others, unhealthy modes of reacting and responding in the world. It's really another way of talking about the false self, I think. Yeah. Um, and I do think that fresh language as another way in to these concepts that we've been very familiar with is really, really helpful. And so I would recommend for us all some reflection on his way of talking about the dead body. Um, because as I look at it, it is very much how we talk about the false self, how Thomas Merton has brought the language of the false self um, into our conversation. So he talks about the dead body as this body of being that is made up of the complex network of habits and attitudes that are constructed under our own lordship, you know, that we've constructed for ourselves when we've been living our lives under our own lordship and before the lordship of Christ was real in our lives. And that that's the body, that's the dead body that needs to be put to death. I mean, you know, it's something that has been alive and active. And Paul is talking about making that body, that complex network of habits and attitudes, uh, making them inoperative so that now we can live under the Lordship of Christ. 
I'll buy that. Well, yeah, good. <laughs> I'll buy that. Um, it, it's it's fascinating to me too. Uh, it, it makes me think of the story in the Gospels of the person that's that's demon possessed and harming himself. He's chained up, but no one can get near him because he's so strong and he's you know he's bloody and and finally Jesus comes to him and he exercises the demon and 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 then the next thing we know it the guy is in his right mind and and of course whatever literal thing that that means great but there's a metaphor there that seems to work for me in this and that, that there, there's a there's a um we are trapped in these ways of thinking that we have made for ourselves under our own lordship and there needs to be a way to return to our true self, you know, return to the person that we really are. And, and so I think the, the, the nature of this episode as it relates to the spiritual disciplines is how does the spiritual disciplines, how do the spiritual disciplines lead us back to our true self? How do they help us name the false self and lead us back to the true self? Um, and, um, so I, I'm, I'm eager for us to go there mm-hmm. to some of the inner dynamics. Yeah. So he sees the dead body as the, the, whole, the whole network. Right. Everything that produces behaviors. And then there will be a behavior that emerges from some aspect of the dead body. And um, that, that behavior is, you know, it's highlighting a place in us that's not transformed, a place right. of, in us that's not conformed to the image of Christ. And that the Holy Spirit in the work of transformation is always going to be at work probing us at the point of that behavior pattern, some deed of the dead body. And, and, and the Holy Spirit won't let us off the hook. Like mm-hmm. if, if we have given ourselves to the process of transformation and we've expressed our intent and our desire to enter into the deeper journey, of spiritual transformation and the Holy Spirit will take us up on it, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. Be careful what you wish for. Yes, is that exactly. one of those things? Exactly. And what you pray for. If you want to be yeah. transformed, expect the fact that the Holy Spirit is going to probe at the point of that behavior pattern. Um, and that deed that emerges out of that complex network of thoughts and attitudes and behaviors. Um, and, and at that point, and, and I just, I think this is, is really full of so much wisdom, that there are these general disciplines that we know as Christian disciplines, but Mulholland is suggesting that when we become aware of the dead body in general, when we see the behavior that emerges, the specific behavior that emerges from the dead body, that we actually find a spiritual discipline, a personal spiritual discipline that shaped to the unique configuration of our deadness. <laughs> so talk about uniqueness. Remember when we were talking about Myers-Briggs, we were talking about claiming the uniqueness, the creation gift. Now he's talking about the unique configuration of our, of our dead body, the part mm-hmm. of us, that, the, the part that's still under our own lordship and, and bringing a personal spiritual discipline that is shaped precisely to the unique configuration of our deadness. So, you know, he says it may be an abstention from a harmful habit with the substitution of a healthy habit, Mm -hmm. you know? It may be the adoption of a new attitude by an act of the will as a loving response to God. It may be severing a destructive relationship. It may be structuring a whole new way of continuing that relationship. It may be a different way of responding to certain situations. So now 
we're moving beyond just the classic Christian disciplines to a discipline that corresponds to the place where we know we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Ooh. Wow, I just think that's, that is really significant for our spiritual journeying. It really is, and I think it would require, it does require some discernment, mm -hmm. some communal wisdom, some spiritual direction, you know, because because it's such a network of behaviors and patterns, yeah. there's a there's mm -hmm. a tendency. There can be a tendency to like name one part of it. Oh, that's the thing, mm -hmm. and yeah. then you start working on that thing, and then you realize, oh, there's actually something underneath mm -hmm. <laughs> that thing. And so, as we untangle the pattern, yeah, these naming, you know, naming a personal, unique discipline that's going to help mm -hmm. us untangle that becomes very important. Yeah, yeah. And so then not only are we engaged in the classic Christian disciplines, but then we are, we are offering this personal discipline as well, also as a means of grace through wow. which God works and moves to transform the dead portion of our body into life in the image of Christ. So um, I think this is, you know, another way to talk theologically and biblically about the old self and the new self, the false self and the true self. And to try to, we're trying to grasp how the sin nature functions and then how it is transformed. And this is the way he's describing it. So Ruth, it occurs to me that I know that there's a way of like crucifying the flesh by using <laughs> tools that aren't gonna help untangle the web, you know, legalism, mm -hmm. um, you know, cutting off the arm to, um, there are there's a way yeah. of practicing spiritual disciplines that can actually contribute to the false self. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so that's why, you know, he draws attention to a, 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 a real tension here. And that is that we need the spiritual practices as a way to open. But without God's transforming grace, the disciplines are empty and hollow. And we really must know that that our, even our practice of these disciplines will not work apart from God's grace. So if there's any way in which we think we are performing these and somehow accomplishing something in our performance of these practices, that we are so wrong. Yeah. Um, all we can do is offer even these very personal disciplines now that correspond to the configuration of our own dead body. Mm -hmm. Even as we offer those, we still need to maintain this posture um, of of openness and and how do we do that? How do we how do we keep ourselves from actually getting into legalism and performance oriented drivenness and any sense at all that we're going to accomplish this for ourselves? And so he actually talks about solitude, silence, and prayer as inner dynamics, as inner postures, which is really interesting because I've talked to them about practices all the way along, but he's now talking about them as as postures. As, way of, as a way of offering these very private disciplines, these personal disciplines, but doing it with a certain posture. Um, and I think it's, I think it's really helpful. Um, so when he talks about silence as an inner posture, um, he's talking about this deep inner reversal of our grasping and our controlling, um, entering into a posture where we know we can't control or we can't manipulate God where we relinquish our whole selves to God and our whole relationship to God, to God's control rather than our own. And so to practice silence rightly, we're actually coming into a posture of open mm. receptivity mm. 
rather than any sense that we can accomplish anything of value through our own effort. Wow. I don't, what I thought about is your picture years ago of the, the river water that, you know, the jar of mm -hmm. river water that's shaken up and you got to wait for it to go down. The, there's a way in which the, the posture of silence is similar to that of like yep. waiting for mm -hmm. the river water to calm and be still, um, noticing our inner franticness and anxiety and, yes. and lurching for control, you know, like, yes. a, um, and learning to still ourselves. That's um, right. It, it seems to me to be what the part of what the posture is, right? Yes. Yes. Um, and, and, and in the silence, there's at least two things that happen. One is that we actually see it for what it is. We see the defensiveness. Okay. We see our controlling mechanisms. We see all the ways that we are easily offended. Um, we see our self-indulgent habits and the ways that we try to cling and grasp at other people to get what we want from them. Um, we see how we manipulate others in our world. We see how we even use God and the things of God to support these inner machinations, you know, mm -hmm. and that's shocking. I mean, in si but in silence, we see it and we're not, and we see ourselves as not always being quite as altruistic and pure as we thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's part of what we actually see in the silence if we're willing to stay there and it's uncomfortable. But then the other thing that happens is that we can pray into that place rather than actually acting out of that, those dynamics in the world and just giving into them. In the silence, we actually discipline them and we say no. My heart is not lifted up. My mm -hmm. eyes are not raised too high. Mm -hmm. I do not occupy myself with all those things that I can't control or understand, but I've calmed and quieted my soul. And that's why silence is also a practice. It's a posture and it's also a practice because you can practice that kind of stilling in those moments if oh, you're willing yeah. to stay in that uncomfortable place, you know. And we've said it before, but this is also when you talk about observing it as it really is there's something about detaching and getting outside of yourself so to speak and looking at yourself and it mm -hmm. in a way that allows you not to be so defensive you oh, okay there it is yeah no more hiding no more pretending mm -hmm. no more blaming there it yeah. is um that's a posture um mm -hmm. that will lead to i think freedom mm -hmm. yes in the end it's uncomfortable in the beginning very uncomfortable to see yeah. what's really there at the core of our being. But then, then with time, we're able to release control. Yeah. And that's, that's where the change happens. That's where the change is now happening because I'm habitually releasing control when I see these things now, uh, rather than habitually going out there and trying to do something in the world with it. Instead, I'm learning how to release control. Mm. So, he also writes about the posture of solitude. Mm -hmm. How is that different than the posture of silence? Well, he would say, and he does say in his book, that actually this kind of stilling where we are now releasing control of our relationship with God to God, that that's actually where it begins, mm. that solitude begins there, that when we're still trying to get stuff from God and still trying to control the relationship, we're not in solitude yet, you know, <laughs> uh, not, not, yeah. not in terms of that interior posture. Um, so then, then, you know, as we release ourselves to God and learn how to do that in silence, then um, 
solitude is not simply coming away from others to be alone with God, but now we are with God on God's own terms for us and allowing God to be the initiator, the one who's controlling the interaction, the one who's bringing what needs to be brought or not, you know? Or not. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's going to still be what God knows we need. It might not be what we think we need because now we're allowing the relationship to take place at God's initiative under God's control and trusting him with, with the outcomes of these times. You know, your book on Elijah is, seems to be just this whole, this whole dynamic here, Mm -hmm. um, where Elijah didn't even know that he needed two naps, but he did. Um, (laughs) you know, I think I need two naps, Steve. I I like that. (laughs) Two naps. One's not enough. No, it's not. And then you gotta have some cakes. I know. Sitting there waiting for you. There we go. You know, um, because the 40 day journey is going to be too Mm -hmm. hard unless you do it, you know? And again, I think there's a dynamic of, of, well, there just are so many great biblical stories mm-hmm. of what Mulholland is illuminating here, um, where how silence leads leads to solitude, leads to union. Um, so now I can't remember the name of your book. That's Elijah. Um, um, uh, Invitation to Solitude and Silence. Invitation to Solitude yes. and Silence. Okay. I, I just happen to know it. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me of what about Bob? You know, when he when yes, he's I looking know. on the and the shelf is just full of his books. That's, <laughs> that's all. Right, he's like, that's hmm, right. let me see. Hmm, there's a, see which oh, one is go. that? <laughs> <laughs> um, the third inner posture that he talks about, Mulholland writes about is prayer. So, in what ways does prayer flow out of silence and solitude as a posture? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because these three dynamics, I think they can be experienced as postures and practices, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah. they are concrete activities that you can engage in, but they are also these postures. And so he says that prayer is the outgrowth of both solitude and silence, that in silence we're let go, letting go of our uh, um, tendency to want to control. In solitude we face up to who we really are in the depths of our being and then in in all of that we offer ourselves to god you know it's like oh boy now i see who mm-hmm. i really am and mm-hmm. now i offer myself to god i give the broken unclean grasping manipulative self that i am mm-hmm. to god and i trust that to god for god's transforming work cuz i can't do it and and in that place um he acknowledges what we've talked about a lot is that we do feel our yearning and that's uncomfortable too that's mm, yeah. the thing we often try to medicate right with our substances and things like that and our activity and our busyness and all of that as we try to medicate the hungering that we have. Um, It's too hard to face who we really are in light of God's presence and to offer ourselves and then sit and wait. And so we try to medicate that part or distract ourselves from that part. Um, But if we can wait openly there, then as we know from all the biblical witness and from our own experiences, God does visit. And God does come to us in that place if we don't run out the door with our mm. hair on fire. As I've said before many, many times, the only thing you can do wrong in solitude and silence is leave. Is leave. Yeah. If you can stay, that will be enough. God will come. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, that was really helpful. I think we started off with the paradox and the dead body. And we're <laughs> ending with a very simple but difficult call to a posture that allows us to name that the darkness inside of us and allow God to do God's work, the work that only God can do. Amen. 
Yes, yes. The work that only God can do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, well, I, I find that very inviting and also very challenging at the same yeah. time. I just have to admit that. Mm-hmm. Um, numbing out is a whole lot easier and temporarily feels better. Um, but but it does not lead to where we want to go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also want to just bring us back here, you know, as we've talked about the nature of the disciplines and how it feels for us to think about a discipline in our lives, that without our spiritual disciplines, the way is sort of closed off, you know, yeah. to God yeah. to come in with his grace. And so um, to think of the disciplines take, you know, undertaken in these postures becomes a true means of grace for us if we're able to, to stay and participate. Yeah. Well, it's even a grace that we get to participate in a way, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, like even the wrestling match of controlling and letting go of control and controlling and letting go of control can be intimate. Right. You know? Um, and I think that can turn into grace as long as we're not too hard on ourselves for not doing it perfectly. (laughs) Well, do you have a prayer that you can lead us, uh, out of this episode with? Yes. And again, these are Bob Mulholland's prayers, and it's just a blessing to be able to pray them together here with you, Steve, and also to offer them to others as a way of upholding ourselves in God's presence with the truths that we've been talking about. Gracious and loving God, I stand in awe of your infinite presence, your infinite patience. You desire my perfect wholeness. You are deeply desirous to make me perfectly whole, even to the extent of entering into my brokenness and taking its death into your own being on the cross. And yet you never violate my independence. You never trample on my free will. You never usurp the integrity of my being. You wait in infinite patience for me to open my life to your cleansing, healing, liberating, transforming grace. You wait for me to willingly cooperate with your purposes for my wholeness. Help me, O my God, to offer to you the deep inner yieldedness of my being that will enable my spiritual disciplines to become avenues of your grace in me. Amen. Amen. On behalf of Ruth and the entire Transforming Center staff, thank you so much for listening. We're currently accepting applications for our next Transforming Community Spiritual Formation Experience for Christian Leaders. You can learn more by visiting transformingcenter.org TC. This podcast is a ministry of the Transforming Center and is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. If you've enjoyed Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast, please leave us a review and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen. You can also become a partner of the podcast and get exclusive benefits by visiting transformingcenter.org patron. Thanks so much for your support and for listening to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership.